Major support for Out to Lunch Acadiana is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com. Support also comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette. From Social on Johnson Street in Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Professor of Finance and Director of the award-winning Birkenroad Reports. It's business Acadiana style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch Acadiana. In 1964, Bob Dylan wrote, The times they are changing. Perhaps nothing illustrates that the times are changing better than the fact that Dylan is now the Nobel Prize winner in literature for that and his other observations. There are countless PhD dissertations and pages of press punditry examining all the various social forces at work that are changing our country. Hopefully among them is a social scientist tackling one of the big questions of our time. What happened to beer and coffee? Back when Nobel laureate Bob Dylan was writing about changing times, Americans, even hipster poets, were content to drink Folgers, Maxwell House, Budweiser, and Schlitz. Today, a mere generation or so later, hipsters, and many more of us, demand better tasting and fresher artisanal beers and coffees. Those tastes are changing all across the country, even here in Acadiana. In Lake Charles, Nancy Holmes started roasting her own coffee beans as a hobby. Today, her artisanal coffee roasting company, Acadian Coffee Roasters, is a wholesaler supplying 100% organic coffee to casinos, restaurants, farmers markets, and stores and business is booming. In fact, it's doubled over the past 12 months. Nancy, welcome out to lunch. Thank you, Peter. Meanwhile, in Broussard, Andrew Godley is brewing beer. Also, he started out as a hobbyist. Andrew has turned his passion into a successful and growing business. Andrew's Parish Brewing Company has 17 employees and makes around 10,000 gallons of beer a week, including the popular Cane Break and Envie beers. Andrew, welcome out to lunch. Hey, Peter. Now, Nancy, I'll start with you. Uh, most of us, when we think of the change in American coffee drinking habits, think of one word, uh, Starbucks. Uh, I would imagine Starbucks has fueled your business, too, in as much as it has gotten regular American coffee drinkers to demand more than just instant coffee and creamer. Uh, but I'm surprised to learn that now even casinos need your organic fresh coffee. Do you see it as a fad, or is there an ever-expanding universe of opportunity so that basically nobody in America is satisfied with Folgers and Maxwell House anymore. <laughs> I think that's all true, Peter. And maybe I should say thanks to Starbucks because with Starbucks, they, you know, especially down here in Louisiana, they've really uh, people have opened their eyes to uh, difference in coffee. You know, changing with the generation. You've got a generation of people that are looking for craft. You know, whether it's beer right. or coffee, and um, you know, so now, the good thing about South Louisiana is we always had pretty good coffee to start. We weren't the black water that you serve up north. For yeah, well, right. I mean, coffee's a part of, part of uh, you know, Louisiana life here. You know, you grow up, I grew up on coffee milk, you know. Oh, it's like as a little girl? That, uh, yeah, right. from very young age. Everybody that was, says that, that story. That was the best <laughs> thing ever, you know, going <laughs> to my grandmother's house. You know, it was a little warm milk with just <laughs> enough coffee to change the color of the milk, you know, and a lot of sugar. But, you know, we had coffee when we were a little bitty. 
So, um, but you know, just uh, times have changed, and people are wanting something more. You know, that's true. Um, with organics, you know, I think I think that's what is what is the definition of organic in the coffee business? In the coffee sense, uh, organic means that um, my coffee beans come from a farm that does not use any herbicides, pesticides, or synthetic chemicals of any kind. And farms typically take, if they don't originally start out as an organic farm, three years to become organic and pass. To get all that out to, of the system. Yeah, to yeah. Cleanse, cleanse the system, clean the ground and stuff like that. So all the coffee we receive is certified 100% organic, and we are USDA certified. And then so. when you get these beans, you in turn are blending different flavored beans? Right, what we do is we work with different origins. The majority of our beans come from Central and South America right now. We, we do have some from Indonesia and we are looking to expand our inventory as well, but uh, we do. We, uh, it's, it's, I like to tell people it's similar to wine. You know, you can uh, take different origins, they all have different characteristics. Coffee's actually more complex than wine. So you can take different regions and coffees. And you can drive home after the party tasting. That's well, so exactly. great. Exactly. Right, <laughs> right. In fact, you're very wired, actually. You're fine. Yeah. You're an excellent driver. <laughs> now, Andrew, the history of alcohol in America is tied to morality and politics. I mean, all the way back to prohibition. Here in Louisiana, we have a complex set of regulations that divides the booze business into different entities. You either make, distribute, or sell beer, but you can't do all three, or at least you couldn't until you came along and got the legislation changed. As president of the Louisiana Craft Brewers Guild, you persuaded the legislature to allow microbreweries to sell direct to the public. So there are a lot of brewers and beer drinkers who owe you a debt of gratitude. It's interesting like coffee. I mean, it's, um, I blame the internet. It's, uh, <laughs> there's, there's uh, people know more. You know, that's what the internet has done versus, you know, the 1950s when people were listening to Dave Brubeck and, you know, getting excited about, uh, you know, uh, uh, whatever generic brand had just popped up. Uh, and they trusted that that one generic brand, whatever it was, all the way through until the 80s and 90s, and then all of a sudden the internet hits, and uh, uh, people are more educated and knowledgeable, and they don't trust big corporations, they don't trust big brand names. Um, they, they trust people like Nancy and I that are their neighbors. We make the product that they like down yeah, the street, they can right. come see it, they can hear from us, they know, they, you know, they know that we're real people, we're not some nameless, faceless corporation that exists in Brazil or you know, Louis. Switzerland, or, <laughs> well, no, Budweiser isn't even an American company anymore. That's Bud, true, yeah. Budweiser is Anheuser-Busch, which owns many, many, I mean, they own uh, Michelob Ultra, Budweiser, Bud Light, uh, many products, and they uh, are actually owned by, uh, oh. AB InBev is a, uh, a Belgian company. Now, one of the things I was thinking about is that you're, being president of the guild, do you view the other craft beers as competitors, or, you know, you're kind of in, in some ways in charge of the whole game. A rising tide floats all boats. Okay. So, and it's, uh, I'm sure that this is synonymous in the coffee industry as well, or the craft coffee, is exactly. craft coffee the craft, right term that's, for it? That's correct. So yeah. it's sort of um, a similar thing where we're such a small part of the market, you know, Folgers would be the equivalent of Budweiser, I guess. Ah, or okay, maybe, yep, uh, yep. And, and that's, you know, a large, you know, 50, 60% of the market, maybe more. And for us, uh, the craft beer is still less than 10% of the market. In ah. Louisiana, it's, you know, maybe three, four, five percent, depending on which market. In New Orleans, it's a lot bigger. than a place like Lafayette, the market share of craft beer is a lot smaller, closer to three percent. But just, let me just ask you a question, though. We talk about micro roasters and micro breweries. What, how do you define a micro roaster, first on your side? Well, the, the term actually is if you roast less than 100,000 pounds coffee. 
your micro. Uh, per? Uh, annually. Okay, and then what do you do for example? I mean, how many pounds do you? Well, surely not close to that. Okay, something <laughs> south of that. That's right. <laughs> and then Andrew, with the, the flip side on microbrewers, what is the definition there and and worry you as, a, as an example? of? Well, microbrewers has been a term that's changed over the years. Uh, uh, really over the last 20 years, lots of breweries have sort of um, become microbreweries uh, as opposed to big major macro breweries like Budweiser and Coors, for example. And so they've grown, a lot of these small breweries have grown and actually become really big you know, breweries. So they've changed the definition. And by they, I mean the uh, Brewers Association, which is the national trade group just like I'm the president right. of the Louisiana Craft Brewers Guild, which is essentially the trade group for the Louisiana breweries, the Brewers Association is a very, very well-run, big organization. Are there that 50 represents, of them, just like I would think? Well, there's 50 guilds around, yeah. the, around the U.S., but there's uh, yeah. one trade group for all of them called the Brewers Association. And, I mean, there's 4,800 breweries in the United States right now, 4,800. Wow. So that's the, they all pay dues to this group, and they, they're located in Denver, Colorado, and they help you know, uh, uh, lobby on the Hill. I mean, they've invited leaders from different states. I've been to the Hill three times now to lobby on behalf of wow. Louisiana to our uh, federal legislators, you know, people like- I can imagine Vitter your conventions are better than ones I've attended. There's That's, lots of beer. We I have, would think so. <laughs> we, have, uh, we, have, we literally have a beer fest at the Capitol every time we do that. It's a lot of fun. That's great. All, the, all, the young, all the young staffers come. Yeah, and, and you know, congratulations on getting legislation changed. Uh, you know, I worked at the Capitol for a number of years as the Assistant State Treasurer, and that that is a um, that's a tough chore to lobby yourself up and. Well, we we as breweries, we're not powerful enough to make anything happen on our own. Um, we um, we have a, a good industry partner uh, for the most part in uh, the beer industry league of Louisiana, which is the trade group representing the wholesalers. Now, one hundred one hundred percent of the alcohol in Louisiana is sold through wholesalers. And there's only, the beer wholesalers, there's only about uh, 13 of them in, the United, in, in Louisiana. Now, Nancy, I've got to ask you, you, you've gotten into some pretty competitive markets. We mentioned the stores, the, uh, the casinos. What's that sell like? I mean, I would imagine, just, I don't know, but I would imagine you can't compete just on price. So what do you do? Well, it's product, you know. Um, for us, our product can pretty much sell itself. People that don't even drink our coffee, they'll try our coffee, and, and then they, they turn around and start buying it. You know, so so I, I, in a sense, the casino could be kind of two things. You're, you're selling to the casino, but right. people get a chance to taste it and go home and want it, right? That's right, that's right. And then it's part of the local community, you know, um, yeah. which is great for us because we have a good support group where we live as far as, as uh, those casinos. So yeah. they're wanting to support local, and they know we have a good product, and and they approached us, and, and we developed some coffees for them, and, and they loved it, and so well, we're just, so excited. I was going to ask you about these developing coffees. You do custom deals. Is, that's right. Is it just the bag, or is it the coffee that's custom? Oh, it's the coffee that's custom as well. You know, people are looking for a particular roast. Uh, you know, um, some people look for, around here, chicory is, um, is uh, something that's special to South Louisiana, chicory blend coffee. We've developed chicory blends, espressos, dark roast. And the label just says now, Billy Bob's coffee on it or yeah. whatever you want to put. Well, no, there. we can do private label as yeah. well, oh, you that's... know, so if somebody, you know, if you want your own <laughs> private label coffee, we can make Peter's, Peter's, <laughs> Peter's blend coffee or oh, whatever but, it is. So. Well, you know, Andrew, I got to ask you about, you're not custom, but you have a lot of different beers, um, uh, you know, about 20, 20 different beers for small, small brewery. Uh, 
And I've been asking around, this is the research I do before the show, is ask people what they drink, and I, cane break seems to be what everybody recognizes. Cane break is very popular. The beer that seems to have this cult following is what, Ghost in yep. the Machine? So Ghost in the Machine, <laughs> right. And what is it about that that It's uh, Ghost, so there's, uh, I wish I could you know, draw a graph and do some math for you here to illustrate what I'm about to explain. So um, in, the, in the beer world, there's two types of beers that sell really well. Okay, there's lots of beers out there, but there's really only two types that I've identified that sell really well, that get people excited. Uh, on one end of the spectrum, there's mass appealing beers. You know, light okay. beers and so on. And as the beers become more interesting or less mass appealing, you sell less of them. So you go from like light, light, light beers like um, uh, Michelob Ultra, Bud Light, and so on, and, and then to Budweiser, and then to Blue Moon, and then to Cane Break, and yeah. then you get into Amber Ales and Brown Ales, and so on. And th those beers get less and less popular the more flavorful and robust they become. And Cane Break is on the end of the spectrum that's more easy and light yeah. for a craft beer, and it sells really well because of that. It's a it's a unique beer. It's differentiated on what it is. It's made with Louisiana sugarcane syrup, so it's a very unique product. But it's um, it's also uh, pretty mass appealing for craft beer. It's very well made. It's easy. Everybody enjoys it. There's nothing right. you know that anybody's going to say is offensive about but it. But if you go on all the, the other way end, over, yeah. So we're talking is that now. Where ghost is? So the ghost is on the other <laughs> end of the spectrum. The extreme beers, you know, bourbon barrel extreme stout X and extremely you know hoppy kumquat added sour <laughs> this and uh, uh, ghost in the machine is a uh, uh, at the time when we produced it uh, three or four years ago for the first time it was uh, to my knowledge it was the hoppiest beer produced in the south hoppiest yeah so producing that, the happiest so, people I so guess. It, the hop heads uh, hop hops are an addiction um, I don't know that there's been scientific evidence to show that it actually is something that people get addicted to. I'm convinced that it is. I think that it's a, it's more more you get desensitized. It's a, maybe a lot like coffee. You know, it, yep. when you first start drinking coffee, it can be quite intense, and you get desensitized to some of the intensities of it, and you can start to appreciate the nuance and the other parts of coffee that are delicious. The same thing with beer right. and hops. And once you get over the bitterness of it, and you get over the intense bracing qualities of of hops. Um, you know, once you've been drinking hoppy beers for a while, you start with pale ales, you go to IPAs, and all of a sudden you're drinking Ghost in the Machine, and Ghost in the Machine is catnip for hopheads. You're listening to Out to Lunch. My guests are Broussard's King of Beer, Parish Brewing Company's Andrew Godley, and Lake Charles's Queen of Coffee, Acadiana Coffee Roasters, Nancy Holmes. Now, Nancy, Cat, you are both in, I guess what in business terms you say, kind of crowded markets. I mean, there's a lot of folks yeah. in it. There isn't a huge barrier to entry. How do, you, do you view yourself as competing against the other local craft uh, coffees? Are you, are you all eating away at Maxwell House and Folgers? Well, I think for us, you know, there's a large coffee company around here in South Louisiana that kind of that has a corner of the market all the way through the South. They're big in, in the are their stores. Initials CC? Their initials okay, are CC. Right. It's a really? big we red wave. We can still keep it a secret the, here. Yeah, this is we, great. we won't tell anybody <laughs> and give that away. But um, I think for us, um, we're, we're, we're unique in the way that we're certified organic because that makes us different, you know. Um, that's something that the big CCs don't offer, you know. And not to mention that um, the coffee's organic. It just tastes better, too. So I, I think, you know, the competition is there, but when people taste the coffee, you know, it's not about, you know, who's bigger, who's better, who's cheaper. It's about, you know who's got the best product out there. So the more we get out in the market and the more we advertise, then the more we're taking more pieces of the market 
for you know. So if I, were, our if I were to look at Nancy and uh, come back in five years in the show, the the pie graph of uh, of coffee would probably change significantly. Absolutely. You're coming more towards the craft and less. To uh, just like the beer. That's right. right. Why do, you, why do you think the coffee, is it because fresher is better and you can just sort of deliver a more fresh product or is it you can do some techniques or things that the big guys can't? Or I think both, I think it's both of that. And one more thing, one organic. You know, you, you don't have the aftertaste that sometimes you really do get from those plants that that carry no, it's the like, chemicals it's like and a pesticides. Garden, it's like a tomato out of my backyard tastes better than any tomato I can buy at the exactly. store. Exactly, it's just right. like it's fresh picked, you know, so that's number one. Um, and, and number two is that, you know, people, um, you know, it, it, it's fresh roasted, so that makes a huge difference. When you can squeeze your bag and you're smelling the coffee, you know it's just it's just been roasted. And, and that's, it's, and that's what it boils we, down we to. We make be. a we make a beer. Uh, we partner with a um, a roaster here locally in Lafayette, a small a small micro roaster that just starts like with a little coffee shop, and they've started distributing as well. But they, um, um, what we've discovered is that we can make a better coffee beer using their coffee um, because they roast it and mill it the morning that we add it to the beer. Exactly. It's not something that we've gone and bought off a shelf that's right. been sitting there in a bag for three months or a year, right. who knows however long. Right. And uh, uh, all of those things that, are, um, uh, that, are, that you're smelling, the things that you enjoy on the coffee, uh, are delicate, volatile, aromatic compounds. They're things that naturally want to leave and go away and decompose their delicate compound substances. Can I, can I ask you to interrupt you, Andrew, but the, the one thing I was thinking about with both of your products is, you know, yours isn't pasteurized, uh, I guess, is that, that that's true, right? Yep. And then yours is freshly roasted. Right. Because of that, I mean, that's very, very appealing, but does that change the way you, you sell? In other words, like shelf life mm -hmm. and things like that? Oh, yeah. It does, and, and for us, we roast to order. And so, the, you know, you're We're basically not, brewing to order. Exactly, ah, us yeah. too. So you're going to get it the freshest you can possibly get it. And we limit our, we limit our distribution footprint because of that. We don't want to, I could, I could, I get requests from Italy for cane break and, uh, you know, people in New York want to buy a ghost in the machine and I, we just, we have no interest in distributing outside of Louisiana, maybe the Gulf South one day once yeah. we can do it right. But uh, it's, it's, um, we can't, the logistics of getting the kind of beer that we make, uh, to the people that want it, like, like it's just, it's a nightmare. I mean, to ship beer to New York, for example, the beer would be old by the time somebody buys it on a store shelf. We couldn't manage it. And I think, for, you know, and that's that's what we're all about, you know, as crafters, you know, is delivering the freshest product, you know, so you don't become the big CCs and the big Budweiser's and stuff, because that's what people are wanting and that's what they're looking for. We don't spend a dollar on advertising or marketing. That's, just, that's just the way we do. But we sell every drop of beer we can make um, so if I spent a million dollars on the most fancy advertising campaign that you could think of. You still couldn't sell any more beer. I might as well just burn that pile of money on the ground. It wouldn't change, our, we would just be out of money. On the other hand, is there anybody that spends more money than like a Budweiser, right? I mean, it's, it's are it's, their sales declining? Are we getting, yes. so it's not just that the pie's getting bigger, it's their slice is getting smaller, right? In general, actually, the beer pie is actually kind of getting smaller nationally ah. because the, the amount of, uh, Sales loss by the big guys, your Budweisers, your Miller Coors, that's dropping more than the craft beer is growing. A lot of that is, I believe, is because people are uh, choosing to drink less beer, but they're drinking better beer. Uh. Now, now, Nancy, tell me about how this works physically for you. The 
Is there a train that comes into Lake Charles with a bunch of beans? How does it work? Well, it's a big truck. A big truck, okay. Right, <laughs> right. right now um, we, we work with uh, traders out of Houston and Florida uh, where we uh, order our coffee. It's a specialty coffee um, traders. And that just means um, coffee's graded on a scale. And everything that our traders provide is, is graded at an 80 or better, which makes it a specialty coffee bean. Okay. So we're looking for high quality specialty coffee. That's certified organic. And since we do um, uh, just roast certified organic, our pool of choosing coffee is, is a lot smaller because not every country may offer a certified organic coffee. So we have to be creative in how we create blends or different other coffees because our pool is smaller. And you got other issues like fair trade and fair all that trade. Kind of we thing. do a lot of fair trade as well because we, we do believe in the fair trade organization. You know, it, it gives the farmers and families um, more money for their their uh, beans that they take in and, and sell. And I think I'm getting something here. I think one of the keys to great coffee is that you're drinking it without too much time frame between when it was roasted. Exactly. So give me an idea of when when is when am I drinking your coffee versus, you know, a big coffee company, a Maxwell House. Well, within a day. And then you can have it within a day or, you know, depending on where your location is, three days, four days. And what's days. it look like for the big boys? In Do you think is, uh, how many days has oh, it been roasted? Well, you know, first of all, they're roasting their batches probably in hundreds of pounds. You know, we're not right. even roasting batches that, that large because we are roasting to order. Um, and, um, but it would likely have probably, been roasted it, you're, you're talking probably a month or, oh, or okay. longer. significant. Possibly, and that, and that again depends on uh, the logistics of it, where it's going. Right. You know, I remember at one time, the big CC, you could only get that here in, in Louisiana, and now they distribute everywhere. You know, uh, do they have just one facility? Just just right, they sure do. One wow. roasting facility. So, like in the beer industry, like Budweiser, for example, has you know eight, ten breweries around the United States, and they kind right. of service regionally. But somebody right. like like Community would have one facility one in Louisiana, facility. and right. they just distribute that area. So, I mean, you can be somewhere else in the United States, and I'm sure that the inventory that they have to keep is incredible. Is incre I mean, it's right. probably a lot more than a month. Right. It's probably it's for a place far away. They got to keep lots of inventory. Exactly. Be it's all about sh a big companies based out on shipping costs. I mean, we do it. We're a small company. We based on shipping costs. So, how we you want to minimize the number of shipments. Mm -hmm. You basically want to ship whole truckloads if you can. Exactly. So, a company like that is probably just shipping as frequently as they need to in order to meet a full truckload. Right. And Coffee, a full truckload of coffee is a lot of coffee. They probably have to wait a few months. Oh, They're yeah, probably only refreshing sense. inventory yeah. at a distributor yeah. probably every couple of months. And I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know that for a fact, but that would just be my guess. Yeah. And again, that's based on logistics and where it's going. And Nancy, um, how do you market? I'm your partner, who's also named Nancy, do, do you just yes. walk through the streets and... Well, sometimes we do. <laughs> you know, actually we do farmer's markets. You know, when we, right. when we first uh, uh, came back home, and uh, that was one of our springboards, is getting out there and, and visiting with the people, and we love doing that, we still do it. We, we're here in Lafayette, we do the, uh, the markets here in Lafayette, and um, that is part of it, just getting out there, part of the community. But, you know, social media is a big thing. Um, we, uh, we work with local organizations, and, um, like our seed center in, um, yeah. in Lake Charles, and it's, it's about networking. You know, today's marketing is so much different than than marketing you know, 10, 15 years ago, especially with social media. You know what I get from both of you is that, uh, once again, we came back five years from now, you're, I don't think either of you want a giant footprint. Yeah, no, I don't think so. What is success? I mean, yeah. right. Well, that's exactly what I was going to 
ask you right now is what, you're both in the, you know, relatively new in the, in the business and such, how do you define success at this, at this point? Pro probably depends how many miles you have to feed. <laughs> yeah, that's true, <laughs> that's part of it. How, 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 how you have to divvy up, you know, what's left at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what your business is like, Nancy, but I mean, I, I'm the only person that matters in the brewery. I don't have, okay. you know, bunches of investors that just I have your, to your employees you know, and you, yeah. spend dividends on. It's just my employees and me. So if, 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 if my family is taken care of and I can, I tell people a lot as a, just a talking point, as a fun, fun way to explain it. When I can take off any Friday I want and go fishing, then that's success. <laughs> yeah. That's success. What about yeah. you, Nancy? What do you uh, think? I think that goes for us too. And, and, and I think that's kind of what we've talked about the whole time. We're not looking to be you know, these large companies. And success is a good product where people are so excited to get it. And, um, and, and being able to make a good living. You know, we're not out there looking to make a million, uh, you know, in the next six not months be the or Ray whatever. Croc of, it's uh, not about the money, you know, it's about earning a good living and making a good product and being able, like Andrew said, to take care of your people. You know, my dad has a great saying. He says, "Pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered." <laughs> <laughs> so it's about it's about greedy. It's about not not one. taking more yeah. than you need. And, and it, it's not. And, and, and you en know, engage in honest business with your with your customers, and and you can do that for a very long time. Now, I started out the show talking about Bob Dylan and how times are changing. Uh, here in Acadiana, our own songwriters chronicle how we pass a good time. Uh, a lot of our dancing and dining is accompanied by beer and coffee. Uh, Nancy, Andrew, your products are part of the fabric of local life. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks a lot, we appreciate it. <laughs> appreciate it. My guests on Out to Lunch have been Nancy Holmes, the co-founder and owner of Acadian Coffee Roasters, and Andrew Godley, the founder of Parish Brewing Company. You can find out more about Nancy's coffee and Andrew's beer by following the links on our websites, krvs.org and itsacadiana.com. The producer of our show is Grant Morris, our technical producer is Eric Merle, and Christian is our researcher. Our theme song, Encore Monsieur Nice Guy, is written by Mitch Foreman and performed by Mitch Foreman and Andre Michaud. Our Acadiana business consultants are Pete Prados from Innovate Acadiana, Zach Barker from The Opportunity Machine, and Dr. Blake Escaday. Today's show is recorded live over lunch at Social Southern Table and Bar in Lafayette. Social is open six days a week for lunch and dinner with brunch on Sundays. If you want to know what we look like and... These are particularly good-looking guests. You can find photos from this show on our website and Facebook page. The photos were taken today by Gwen Oquin. You can get the show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows. You can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites. It's kadiana.com and krvs.org. Support for Out to Lunch Acadiana comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette, located off Pinhook near Calise Saloon. Wyndham Garden is pet and family friendly with free Wi-Fi, free parking, and a free shuttle within a three-mile radius, including the airport and downtown restaurants. Additional support comes from ABiz Magazine and AcadianaBusiness.com, the essential information source for business decision makers throughout the one Acadiana region. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business Acadiana style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch Acadiana is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S. Providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. 
joneswalker.com. Support also comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette. Thank you.